Today is Friday, October 22nd. The title for our devotional is, We Already Have a King. I would add to that title to begin with, He's Pretty Great. When we turn to the New Testament epistles, we find the authors regularly declaring Jesus to be Lord. This would imply that Jesus was of a higher authority and lordship than Caesar. When Christians were brought to trial, they would often be forced to make sacrifices to the Roman gods and declare Caesar to be Lord. Those who refused were punished with imprisonment or even death in some cases. This genuine Christians could not do because Jesus was Lord over Caesar and they could not make sacrifices and confess their allegiance to the Roman gods. In the book of Colossians, Paul is addressing a heresy in the church that is likely some form of syncretism between Judaism and Neoplatonism. It's difficult to pin down exactly what it is because Paul doesn't really articulate a lot about what it is. Both Jewish and Roman influence loom large in the church, and Paul countered these influences not by clearly refuting each point of disagreement, but by simply declaring the authority and the supremacy of Jesus. So to see this, we turn to Colossians 1, 15-17. Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Fast forwarding now to Colossians 2, 8 through 15, Paul kind of dives into the heresy that he is uh, attempting to refute, but he, he speaks very generally. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. You have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul here doesn't dig into every nuance of Neoplatonism and whatever Jewish form of heresy had crept into the church. Instead, he takes this catch-all approach against all, quote, hollow and deceptive philosophy. In doing so, he declares Christ to be the, quote, head over every power and authority. That would include both spiritual and physical power and authority. His argument is essentially, God is so powerful and God has done so much for you in Christ. Why would you turn to anything else? In verse 15, The powers and authorities is almost certainly a reference to spiritual power and forces of evil. But in traditional Jewish thought, like likely Paul's as well, it is the evil spiritual powers operating in the background that animate and influence the evil kingdoms of this world. 
for example, Babylon. In the devotional page, I've linked you to a video for an explanation of this. This is seen in his declaration a few verses earlier in 1.16, that all things were created through Jesus, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So both spiritual powers and physical powers, kings and kingdoms, are created by Jesus and for Jesus. All creation was created through him and for him, so all creation owes him its allegiance. Returning to verse 15 now, the language Paul chooses, disarmed, made made a public spectacle, and triumphed, would point the reader to a common scene in the Roman Empire of a Roman emperor returning from a victorious war. He would enter the city in a glorious procession, riding on horseback with his captives trailing behind him on their way to execution or servitude. This is what Jesus has done to the evil spiritual powers and authorities. Eugene Peterson paints the picture explicitly in the message version when he writes, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Again, Note the method by which Jesus stripped them of their authority. It's the cross. The cross in the Roman world was a symbol of shame, subjugation, and powerlessness. He was victorious by laying down his life as a ransom for many and serving others. Paul expresses this idea elsewhere. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Returning to our primary application this week, Jesus is our King. He has absolute power over all creation. It was all created by him and for him. He achieved his power by laying down his life on the cross. So two key applications come from this. One, let's not be like the people of Israel, begging Samuel back in 1 Samuel 8, 1-9, to give them a king. The kingship of Saul did not go well. And remember what God told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, but they're rejecting me as their king. Let's not reject God as our king. We already have a king. We have Jesus. He's powerful and he is good. He has our best interest in mind. We don't have to fear his manipulation of us. He has already proven his perfect, complete love for us in the cross. Second, application. The Jesus way to achieving power and influence is a life of humble service to others. He made this explicitly clear as we've explored this week. For the church to bring the kingdom of God to our society, it will not be by taking the high places of power and authority like Seven Mountain Dominionism, from which we legislate kingdom values. Instead, it will be the Jesus way of foot washing, humbling ourselves to serve one another and giving our lives for each other. The church's emphasis on achieving power in our country begs the question, is Jesus' way not good enough for us? Is it that it's not efficient enough? Or is it that we just don't want to do it because it's difficult? I've got a sneaking suspicion that it's one of those two. If it's not one of those two, then it's something much more nefarious and evil like simply a desire for power and control. For additional content, I've linked you to the Bible Project video on the book of Colossians and the video that I referenced earlier 
Uh, it talks about the Satan and demons and how Jewish worldview was that evil forces and evil spiritual powers and authorities animated, influenced, and stood behind the evil kingdoms of the world. So encourage you to get, head over there and give those videos a watch. For reflection today, simply reflect on the questions that I asked earlier. If our emphasis within the church and as followers of Jesus on achieving power is too, is too heavy, that begs the question, is Jesus' way not good enough for us? Just explore why. Explore why we might be tempted to pursue power as the means of bringing God's kingdom instead of the way that Jesus so clearly illustrated, lived, and taught us. The way of service. The way of foot washing. The way of humbling ourselves and loving one another. Being willing to lay down our lives for each other. That is the way of Jesus. That way we must return to.